Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese and movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hi everyone and welcome to Comfort Films, episode 65. Today we're going to be discussing Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 Joe Wright version. Uh, this is the kickoff of our Romance and Love Month. Because, you know, we're cheesy that way. <laughs> Over here at Comfort Films. Uh, and the great thing is that we are kicking it off with two people that we love. Kate Duffy and Danny Zelliger. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi, Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. <laughs> you may remember Kate from our Moonstruck episode. And she is joining us with her significant other, Danny, who is also a great, great friend of ours. Uh, we haven't talked to you guys in a long time, so... This yeah. is going to be fun. We're going to really dig into some pride and prejudice. <laughs> I'm just excited to be talking to you. And uh, it's an honor to be on your wonderful podcast. Aww. Oh, thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. This is great. So as always, when we have guests, we ask you guys to suggest some picks for us. And we usually get people to do three and we pick one. But in this case, you guys kind of were just like, hey, this is what we want to do. And pride and prejudice it is. So... <laughs> You know, you strong arm to send to it, is what I'm saying, but we, we're okay with that. So what is it about Pride and Prejudice uh, that made you pick this as your comfort film choice? Well, we watch it all the time. <laughs> we Yeah, an, an embarrassing amount, actually. Probably at least once a year for the past 10 years. Well, we've been on a pretty consistent um, cycle for many years where we watch the miniseries and this version, the Joe Wright version. Um, and we just sort of bounce back and forth. So I would say we watch both of them like once a year. Um, and we've been doing that for about as long as I can remember. If I had to sum up why it's a comfort film in one word, it would probably be the bonnets. <laughs> it's definitely the bonnets. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I was thinking last night that this was one of the first movies that I really like. And it's, it's weird because I was 14 when this movie came out, but this was like the first movie I really remember like being absolutely beside myself to see. And I think I saw it in theaters. I'm pretty sure it was like five times oh, uh, wow. I saw it in theaters. Yeah. Um, because I already loved the miniseries, which came out in 95, I think. Um, and obviously I was a small child when that was going on, but I remember watching it in middle school and then high school. And then when this film came out, I was just like, could not have been more excited. And I saw it a ridiculous amount of times in theaters. And I never expected that I would end up marrying someone who actually wants to watch Pride and Prejudice, maybe more than <laughs> I do. <laughs> so that's a, I, I feel like my 14 year old self, she'd be pretty happy. I came to it much later. Um, you were already a big Jane Austen fan. Yes. Um, and I wasn't that familiar with Jane Austen's work or, but I had something about, something about the movie is so romantic. I thought you were going to say something about the bonnets. <laughs> the, the costumes are great. <laughs> I want to be doing those jigs. I mean, part of it is, is I will admit that I just want to be living in that time period in that social class doing those dances. 
you say that, but you would be fucking miserable. <laughs> but you you don't even like to dance, and every time we see this movie and we get to the ball scenes, you're like captivated because I know that you want to do those dances. I'd get down in the ballroom. Yeah. So yeah, you don't want to dance now, but you do want to go to like this formalized thirty minute dance <laughs> that they like yes. get up and, and do what... like a dance for thirty minutes in a line with these moves. What version of that do we have in our society we other than the cha-cha well, slide and the horror? So Yeah, I was going to say when I was... <laughs> it's not as good. When I was in uh, high school, which was around the time... You graduated from high school when the miniseries came out, which was 95. Mm-hmm. That was the year before I graduated. And when I was in college and started studying Jane Austen, everybody was, like, super hot over that thing. Um, <laughs> and I was, too. I loved it. Um, but... When I was in high school, we did country line dancing, which oh actually God. is very similar to yes. the activities that were going on in these. I don't know. I think we might have a new hobby. <laughs> so yeah. maybe you sign up for a country line dancing class and, and you might be able to learn some of these formation dances that they're doing here. We had to do that in grade school. We had, we did line dancing. Yeah. Round your oh. partner, do si do. You know, square. Oh shit! Same well, thing. It, I mean, you know, it's kind of the same. Achy breaky heart. We you did know? that too, but <laughs> line dancing is like the electric slide. Like you're in a row, and you're like you're listening to like achy breaky heart. Yeah, and everybody's doing the same moves. I mean, this is ridiculous, and I'm sorry that I don't have it on video to show you guys. Well, someone somewhere must have made a super cut of just Pride and Prejudice dances, but set to Achy Breaky Heart. That (laughs) would be nice. That's a great idea. I mean, they would have to, because people have messed around with this story so much that they would have to have done that. Well, the only thing I'd say that I have, okay, in terms of dancing, which has been a touchstone for me, this is off topic, but what, what spoke to me with dancing as a kid was Tom Cruise and Risky Business listening to the Bob Seger and sliding in. What's hilarious about that movie is I was not able to see it until, you know, I was much, much older. But I knew that one part where he came sliding in. And I love dancing. I I would dance all over the house. I'd dance everywhere. I would like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought I was doing at home, but I loved it. I would turn the stereo up as loud as I could at home. And I would sing all the songs and dance. I'd slide down the hallway. Then I'd give myself notes like I was the director, and then I'd do it again. Um, (laughs) That's kind of like what I would do. So anyway, yes, you know, I can really. It's right there. But with what you're saying, with what you see in Pride and Prejudice, that's how I felt with, I don't know, the four seconds I saw of Risky Business. (laughs) Well, yeah. I do think that, like, we romanticize the past a lot and... I think that the that a lot of the Jane Austen films really lend themselves to that because you see like you know how life was, but these people are like you know the leisure class, so they probably weren't having to do you know the things that we as you know peasants would probably be having to do (laughs) yeah i don't know if you ever read longborn there was a novel that someone did a few years ago called longborn which is actually told it's pride and prejudice from the point of view of one of the people who works in the house one of the housemaids oh wow it's an interesting book i mean it kind of 
de-romanticizes Pride and Prejudice to an extent that no. I yeah. don't know if I liked. Um, it's like really well done, but it's like, do I want to feel like I don't like Lizzie? Uh, I don't think so, because I just love the character of Lizzie so much. I oh, yeah. Her. Um, with yeah. Jane Austen, did you guys come to Jane Austen in college? Or, Kate, you're, did you read it in high school or earlier? Uh, I think the first time I read Pride and Prejudice was the first Jane Austen novel that I read. And I'm pretty sure I read it when I was in, I want to say I was in seventh grade, um, which maybe was a little bit young. And I I don't think I've read it in about probably 15 years at this point, but I, I feel like I read it so much in my adolescence and early adulthood. Um, but I remember actually before I even read it, I saw the miniseries. So that was my first introduction to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once I read Pride and Prejudice, I just became like obsessed with it. And I ended up reading all of her books uh, in pretty rapid succession. I also got very into the Ang Lee Sense and Sensibility movie in high school, which I love. Um, So that kind of just like set me down the path even more. And then of course this movie came out when I was freshman in high school and it was major absolutely yeah. major for me so but you didn't read austin danny until you were in college right or older 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 uh i studied we were both english majors and but i was studying american lit mm-hmm. primarily which makes so i read sense persuasion like yeah. yeah i read persuasion um after college and then i've read probably most of her books by now including pride and prejudice mm-hmm. and yeah i i'm I love obviously romanticizing the past, as I said, but, you know, at the same time, the the other thing I like about Jane Austen that really runs in contrast to that is just how desperate these people's lives were in in all of her books. And it's a common theme how, yes, this is the leisure class, but if you're at the bottom of the leisure class, you might be one generation away from losing everything. Right. And that's a mm-hmm. that's a theme that I think speaks to a lot of people today. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I I do think that um, that really is particular to Jane Austen's point of view because she was kind of like you know a spinster in real life, mm-hmm. and her writing um, was a way of potentially you know um, preventing something like that or taking care of herself, finding a way to have agency. Yeah. And she ended up making quite a bit of money off of her writing, um, which is very abnormal <laughs> for the time period. Totally. Um, right. I didn't actually read Jane Austen at all until I was in my very last year of college, so 2000. Um, I kind of had resisted Jane Austen because I had a mistaken idea that it was very much like the Brontes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they were of the same era, but I had read Wuthering Heights in high school just on my own thinking, you know, I I was the kind of person also an English major and knew I was going to be an English major when I was in like eighth grade. So I'm like, oh, I should read all these, you know, classic books. And my stepdad was really a non-reader, but he would buy books based on what they looked like to put them in a bookcase. (laughs) 
and I like that. I like Wuthering that. Heights was you gotta one respect of those. It. Mm. <laughs> Wuthering Heights was one of those books, so I was like, "Oh, I know this is supposed to be a big deal, so I'm gonna read it." And I really pushed myself to finish it, and I really hated it. And I <laughs> s- still do really hate. It. I do not like Wuthering Me Heights. Me too. Me uh, too. My mom became an English teacher several years ago, and we were going through, you know, which novel she should have her students read, and I was like absolutely do not make them read Wuthering Heights, <laughs> please. Totally. And she's like, Georgia, I would never do that. And I'm like, okay, you <laughs> forgot, you're my mom. So, you know, for whatever reason, I had that in my head. And I think I had read Jane Eyre at that point, or at least watched a movie of it and liked that. But I still was kind of under the impression that Jane Austen was kind of like this emo stuff, which it super isn't. Um, no. <laughs> but my one of my two favorite teachers who was practically like my parent i wish i had had um in college was teaching a jane austen seminar and she loved jane austen and her husband was my shakespeare teacher who was one of the best people i've ever known in my life and of course like a huge influence on me both of them and i was like well if dr ford thinks jane austen's good then maybe it's good so (laughs) Jane Austen really like set off a little bomb in me that I was like, wow, I love this because her writing feels like me, you know, in a weird Mm -hmm. way, like her sense of humor, like I totally got. And I just really understood a lot of the things she was writing about because I think she has a lot of, you know, a lot of things that can appeal to anyone, but particularly I feel like she understands women in a way that a lot of writers don't like I think a lot of writers even female writers sometimes have an urge to present women in a certain way and I feel like Jane Austen does it in a more real way like we see Lizzie for example you know she isn't really always concerned with being proper she has her own personality she you know really loves absurdity and, and laughing at things and Pride and Prejudice is one of these books that is so happy and feel good, you know, and I'm not saying that everything that happens in it is feel good. We'll get into that, I'm sure. But overall, um, at least from the point of view of the Lizzie character, things could like really not turn out better in a way for Lizzie (laughs) personally and for Jane. Um, It's funny that you guys, you know, that we talked a little bit about that you also kind of watch Bridget Jones when you watch this as well, uh, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's based on this very much. <laughs> I didn't actually realize that. I think I had seen Bridget Jones or I'd read Bridget Jones diary and I didn't really think about that. But what is funny is the year that I took the Jane Austen seminar, I <laughs> was laughing because in a lot of Jane Austen books, men are very scarce. That is not the case in Pride and Prejudice. There are dudes hanging off of every tree. I mean, (laughs) they're everywhere. And you're a problem. Yeah. Yes. The soldiers need to get out of Meriton. They do. (laughs) (laughs) But I made a joke in that class. I was like, somebody should do a modern adaptation of this and play It's Rain and Men. Oh my God. And like Bridget Jones came out the next year. They did. And it has that song in it. And I was like, hey, that was my idea. Um, 
I love that. And we actually just watched Bridget Jones. Like it's part of our Pride and Prejudice rotation with the BBC miniseries. I should have said that we do we do throw that (laughs) in as well because I consider that um, part of the trifecta. I think it's it's really a sequel. I mean, it has Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. Yeah, Yeah. I can't even believe they got him for it. Yeah, I thought that was no, and he and he kills it. Yeah. He's perfect. As that, that's him in real life, as far as I'm concerned. If he totally. didn't act like I won't that be in real life, I'll be further. mad. <laughs> yeah, I agree. For me, it was like I really came late to a lot of this stuff. Um, I I was the type of kid that was really interested in Essie Hinton. I really like mm-hmm. reading like The Outsiders and Rumblefish, and I really got caught up in these kind of like iconic characters that all seem to be like somehow a spinoff of like Marlon Brando's The Wild One. That was those were kind of the stories that I always wanted. I always wanted like, you know, the outside people like I loved Pretty in Pink. You know what I mean? Because we had the people on the other side of the tracks. And for me, I just never really had a fantastic exposure to this type of literature when I was younger because my father, you know, was very well read and a lot of his recommendations were fantastic. However, two of his very high recommendations happened to be Wuthering Heights and Ethan Frome, bro. So it's exactly. So I was like, that would have made me want to stop reading. Like I would have just said, take my eyes, please. I don't want those. I was like, keep your pickle dish, old man. You know what I mean? Like, so it was, that wasn't really happening. And then, you know, he also did a very good thing for me, which was he really exposed me to a lot of great things on television. We watched a lot of, you know, public television. We watched a lot of BBC programming mm. and it was very good stuff. We watched nature shows. He did his best to try to give me like this really well-rounded education. But the problem is, is that because, you know, that was happening so much, I really wanted to go to the other side of that. I wanted to watch the the more pop culture things, which my father also liked, you know. But when you're younger, I mean, particularly it felt like in the 80s, a, a good number of the movies that were very good were rated R. And that was not Mm -hmm. something that was really on the table for me. Now, that being said, there was an astounding number of incredible films that were PG or PG-13 when I was growing up. So I I don't want to say I I didn't have access to wonderful things like Indiana Jones or Back to the Future or Ghostbusters or Pretty in Pink or, you know, any of these things, any of the great like John Candy movies like, you know, The Great Outdoors and Uncle Buck. And, you know, so there, there was a lot of there was a lot of fun that I had, but I was very resistant to coming over to things that, in my opinion, kind of felt like work. It, it didn't feel mm-hmm. like I, I was relaxing. And also, again, you know, in the back of my head, I've got Wuthering Heights, <laughs> Ethan Frome. You and I were really scarred and stained by Wuthering Heights. They were. Well, I, Me I mean, too. It did a it number really, on it, a lot of people. It stinks. I mean, and then it was like my old man really pulled me out of one. Okay. I was supposed to read Lord of the Flies. I didn't do it. And I had to do a paper. Yeah. 
He and, didn't miss anything. Right. My dad wrote the paper. Thanks, Dad. Mm. You know, it just totally bailed me out of he that. He was one. like, I'm gonna save you from this one. Yeah, I it's like it's like a tradition. Like my brothers <laughs> have Danny's a teacher though, so he's gonna frown on this. No, it's hey, he'll understand <laughs> it's a family thing. It's like shame. shame. <laughs> Damn you. Damn you. Like my brothers had situations where they didn't do the work. And I was like, all right, here we go. You know what I mean? It was like, here's one from, you know, the old man through me to you. Here we go. And so it's like, I, I get it. And, you know, I was actually in Pride and Prejudice. I was in the play in high school and I was Mr. Bennett because I've been an old man wow. since I could walk. Oh um, and I had yeah, this wonderful Merkin. Gravitas. And, oh, yes. Oh, and, God. Are there videos? Please tell me there's videos. Uh, maybe. There's there pictures. might be. There yeah, are I'm pictures. I'm sure we have pictures. Oh, my God. Yeah, Please I, send them to me. I will. Like, so I think they put, like, baby powder in my hair. I had this smoking jacket. Now, here's oh the God. other thing. Like, now, this is so unlike me. I didn't actually read the whole play. I just read the scenes <laughs> that I was in. Okay. And like one day I remember I saw like a run through really late and I was like, holy shit. Okay. There's a lot going on in this play. My entire performance was actually like th this again, this is the eighties, ladies and gentlemen, it was like a riff on, you know, Jeffrey Jones, as Winona Ryder's father in Beetlejuice, because I felt like it was the same type of vibe that I was getting. I have to say, though, that, like, that is basically mm. the most Mr. Bennett thing you could have done. <laughs> because so he true. doesn't want to be involved in anything. He just wants to hang out in his office, in his study, just doing his thing. Doesn't care about what anybody else wants. Dragonfly. And yeah. by the way, this movie <laughs> absolutely was an aspirational study. I mean, oh. the the Bennett's house in this movie, I feel like is just exactly what I, I feel like it's Danny's dream. House. I would like that study. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's Danny amazing. fantasizes about his future study. <laughs> I had that study, guys. I had that study in high school. What? Yeah, exactly. Yes, it was a backdrop. All right, this is one last story about <laughs> high school pride and prejudice. <laughs> But I just want to share it with you because, again, oh th this was I'm wrapping it up. So here we go. So there was a, a, a bit where I'm supposed to be on stage and Mrs. Bennett is supposed to startle me. And I was like, OK, Mrs. Bennett, you know, also a high schooler. I was like, hey, Sylvia, I got this idea. All right. So I'm just, you know, let's just change around the way we come on stage. I'm not going to be looking at you. Just call my name really loud. I'll be reading a book. And when you call out my name, it'll scare me and I'll throw the book. So I, I, I went. She came out. She scared me. I threw the book. Everybody laughed. There was an elderly woman in the front row. It was like a grandmother of a friend of mine who was scared the book might hit her. I heard oh, that no. later. I felt like, holy shit. It didn't get it didn't get there. Thank God. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, my God. OK, no more book throwing. But, it, you know, it was very funny. And so, you know, we just did this play, man. And I, ladies and gentlemen, did not did not read Pride and Prejudice. I've seen the movies. I saw the miniseries. You know when it happened? When you guys said we're going to do this. I did the audio book. This is literally oh, wow. the first time I have wow. dove in. And, you know, I have to say I was I was really happy. And again, you know, it's like it, the inroad for me is like I could feel 
you know, that high school performance was so strong, right? I could feel that Mr. Bennett and I adore <laughs> Donald Sutherland yes. in the film. I think Donald Sutherland in the film is Mr. Bennett gives a performance like I've never seen. Now, Donald Sutherland, I think aloof, I think authority, you know, like I, I think about mm -hmm. aloof from like Animal House, where he's like the professor getting high, being irresponsible. And then later, you know, he's President Snow in the Hunger Games. Those are like the extremes of this guy, but he's never vulnerable. But at the very yeah. end of mm -hmm. the film, when he gives the consent for Lizzie to marry Darcy and he just tears up, it's one of the most beautiful and amazing things that I've ever seen. And it just caps yeah. off just a fantastic, fantastic, arc, performance, whatever you want to call it, this is my favorite thing that Donald Sutherland is in, and he's in a lot of wonderful movies. Wow. I, I have some thoughts about about his Mr. Bennett, because I, I think he is so lovable in it, and that I love that moment also when he's quite at his leisure. Yes. <laughs> if yes, any yes. other young suitors would like to. Come out. <laughs> I don't he he is so aloof in this and, and just he almost seems to not care um about what's happening to his family mm -hmm. in this movie mm -hmm. i i think that's a choice donald sutherland made or or that was made for him so while he is so lovable i think i wind up sort of hating mr bennett <laughs> in this movie he, the situation of this movie is that his family doesn't get to inherit his estate or any property that he owns and will become penniless the moment he dies, which, uh, because Mrs. they didn't Bennett, have a son because they didn't have a son. And Miss yeah. Bennett points out that could happen very, very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Many times she points that out. And he does not give an F <laughs> in this film. Well, uh, I, yeah, it's interesting. He I kind of, it's like you you get the feeling that he probably does, but his avoidance overcomes mm -hmm. that. Like, he's more interested in avoiding dealing with it than, you know, he cares about it, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, and I feel the same way with you. When I read the book, I kind of enjoy him because he, it's it's kind of from Elizabeth's point of view. And she's like a daddy's girl big time. You know, mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. takes all her cues from him. And I think that they did a really good job in this film of making you question him. Um, I don't think I've ever noticed as much as I did this last time we watched this that when, you know, Darcy does the first proposal out in the in the rain there. And he's like, well, what did you think? I was going to be thrilled about your family. <laughs> and, you know, one of the last things he says is like, even your father, you know, even his behavior mm -hmm. is inappropriate. And that really chaps Lizzie's ass because that's her, you know, Jane and her dad are the two people in her family who she cares about and really trusts and, you know. Yeah. After that, she does, but Darcy makes her think about it. And when mm -hmm. everything happens with Lydia, you know, when, when Lydia is going to be going away, she goes to her dad and says, don't do this. Don't let her go because this is not what you want. You do not want Lydia mm -hmm. out here free to go nuts, you know? And he's just like, eh, 
least she's not in my hair. And just wants peace. Yeah, and that opens the door to, you know, her potential ruination. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. It's, I guess it's just me with old Donnie. No, boy, it's but... not. It's not. <laughs> but I, it's... I, I still like him, but I'm sure. just saying, like, yeah. in this, I feel like you really see his. It's not that he's a bad person, it's just that he is avoidant. He's just fully avoidant. He doesn't want yeah. to talk about fixing anything. He just wants to be left alone to, like, pursue his own interests. But unfortunately. <laughs> He had five daughters and he really does need to, you know, think about providing for their, you know, for them. And even if that meant, you know, trying to get one of them married to Mr. Collins, God forbid. Yeah, he's Not nice. Elizabeth. Yeah. I mean, he just ugh. gets very, very, very lucky at the end that his two, two of his daughters marry like the two richest men in the nation, it seems. Yeah, they're um, they're rolling in dough. If you they're look rolling at the... in dough, and you know what? He avoided the shit out of it, and it still worked out for him. Procrastination yeah. sometimes pays off, you know. <laughs> for him, it did. you just he end up lucky. having marrying off two daughters. But I think that's so true because Mrs. Bennett, you know, it's so easy to read her as just this frivolous and silly, and you know, and she is obnoxious, and that's part of why I love her. And I think Brenda Blythin does an amazing job as her, like. <laughs> I just, I find her like, just her comedic timing is just so good. Um, but really like, I mean, Mrs. Bennett is just a desperate woman and like, she is busting her ass for her daughters. Like she, oh, yeah. she may be annoying, but like, she understands that there's work to do and you got to store the nuts before winter or whatever. Like she's trying to like, really make this happen because she, she really knows how, how big of a deal this is. And I think you're totally right, Georgia. I read him Mr. Bennett is just completely avoidant and almost like depressed. Like, I think he's like one of those like high functioning depressed people Mm -hmm. who is able to be really loving and like generous with his daughters, clearly loves his daughters, especially Lizzie, um, but retreats from his family because I think that he's just, he's maybe mad at himself that he didn't get to produce a male heir, which is the only way he can pass his property. And he's like, I have this fuck nut cousin who's coming in here and trying to like <laughs> read four dice's sermon okay. to us after dinner, after oh, complimenting yeah. the boiled potatoes and everyone hates him. And like, oh, yeah. he realizes that he stepped in it he's, and there's yeah. nothing he can do. He's massively overwhelmed by life, I guess. And I think yeah. you could read that as depression. I am just going to call back to the fact that you said, you know, storing the nuts before winter <laughs> in reference to getting husbands and that's perfect there's so many just you know I, this there's is, a subtext it, there that i'm enjoying it's all thank stuff. you it's past my bedtime and i am <laughs> a little bit loopy so I'm, just like really, I'm really like rolling with it because that's just what came into my mind and as, as soon as it came out of my mouth i was like i hate myself <laughs> um but yeah, i'm glad it landed okay <laughs> the other okay this is my last thing on the donald sutherland mr bennett i I fully get you guys and i I feel what you're saying but it's like again sometimes i project when i watch people right and for me with mr bennett yes i would definitely say he's depressed i would definitely say he's pissed at himself but i don't know why but there's part of me that believes that yes he's got this really kind of low-key i don't care kind of thing happening but I feel like it masks the fact that he does care and he is doing things. 
like, you know, we have the bit at the beginning where he's talking, you know, uh, with the family about, you know, it's like, oh, we've got Mr. Bingley. We got a new man in town and, you know, we got to set it up to, you know, go over there and check it out. And he just kind of screws with her and he's like, oh, yeah, I got it figured out. So it's like, oh, OK, I, I don't know. I feel yeah, he like was he's doing what he's supposed to do. Right. There. I just I right. feel I like to I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, I like to think. I don't know. It, it just it kind of reminds me again. It, it's just a lot of the things that I watched, like a, a lot of these things growing up. It's just like this kind of stoic male archetype that doesn't seem like they care about anything. But mm-hmm. then when you actually come through, they do. And it it and it, it kind of again, it just plays in for me with all the things we've seen Donald Sutherland do like he's doing the game that we know. And then at the end, surprise. Well, it all kind yeah. of comes home for him, I think, there at the end, too. I mean, the whole situation with Lydia really does kind of, I guess, kind of shock him out of his complacency. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's forced to leave to try to go take care of this. And, of course, he, he really can't. If it isn't for the fact that Darcy steps in there and takes care of this financially, which... I mean, I have so much to say about that, (laughs) to be honest, but just in reference to Mr. Bennett, if it isn't for the fact that Darcy steps in here, this would have gone a totally different way because Mm -hmm. there is nothing that Mr. Bennett could do. He was completely powerless here to make this workable for Wickham because Wickham is such a money grubbing bastard there's no amount of money that Bennett could have scraped up on his own to fix this. Maybe no. from his bro- maybe from the brother-in-law. But yeah, I mean, Darcy's act here is huge. Huge. Yeah. Not only is that huge, but then the fact that he still comes back and says, you know, he loves Elizabeth and wants to marry her. When, like, not only is he marrying somebody who has no fortune, but he's also forcing himself to be Mr. Wickham's brother now. For life. Oh God, that's so true. That's so I like horrible. didn't even think about that. Yeah, I neither. I just thought about it today, and I was that's like, wild. "Dang, that is a mess right there." Because we know how much he dislikes Wickham, and I know he sent him off to Newcastle or whatever. <laughs> I don't think they're getting together for Mickleness. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, think so either. They do. No, they're chance. not going to be like hitting the grog at Christmas or something. <laughs> I think they're, I think they're going to be icy at best, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's so true. They, they literally join families in the end. That's so, I, I really did not think about that, but I, I mean, I think that this Wickham in this movie is just such a little like smarmy turd. Um, yeah. And he just like nails it. Um, I think Rupert Friend is the the actor who plays him, and he, and he's great. Um, and you know, I, obviously, like because I watched the miniseries first, Colin Firth was always in my mind as Mister Darcy. And so, you know, when I when I saw this movie, and and to this day, I mean, I I think Matthew McFadden is amazing as Mister Darcy, and I think that he completely nails the awkwardness of him in a way that is so palpable. It's it's like painful to watch at times. Um, you know, and I think that that's his gift as him is that he's just able to like make you cringe because the awkwardness is so visceral. Um, and in the end, I mean, he ends up, you know, kind of showing his romantic side more, but it's so astounding to me that he just like everything works out for him in the end because he really, he biffs it 
Like it's just <laughs> he he walks into that ball and it's like, oh man, how do you come back from that? Oh, you know, man, like yeah. that shot when they're under the when Lizzie and Charlotte are under the bleachers and like oh, yeah. watching him just say that she's ugly, which like have no, you seen no. Kira Knightley? Like, what are you talking about? Um, but you know, I think there's even a shot before that. The first time he makes eye contact with Lizzie in this film, I think he's already actually attracted to her. Yes. And I yeah. think he's saying that in this film to uh, Mr. Bingley, just to kind of dunk on these country bumpkins. Well, maybe also. I don't also, think it has anything to do with Lizzie. Even to convince himself that he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, mm. I don't know. I think we've everybody has one of these things happen to them i mean we're old and married at this point so probably not as much but like when you were younger that you find someone attractive and you're like god almighty why do i find this person attractive (laughs) because you know you don't want to and i mean that's the thing with darcy like he is so protective of himself Mm -hmm. um and so afraid of vulnerability in any way um, but also <laughs> walking around like with his skin on inside out at the same time, like he's so sensitive yeah, and so afraid of being sensitive that, you know, I think the fact that he is stirred by this girl is like, he's like, I got to lock this down like immediately. Like I cannot yeah. let myself go there totally for so many reasons, but mostly and not just because it's country and whatever but mostly because he just can't go there like he knows he can't go there mm-hmm. i mean he's a guy who is so bound by all of his all of his duty like he knows you know he's mega mega rich like if you look at the amount of money that he makes and stuff and convert it to like nowadays money like this is a ridiculously wealthy person. He has a he huge... has ten thousand a year, George. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's like that's like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like this guy oh, yeah. is ridiculously rich, and he has so many people who depend on him. Um, you know, he runs this huge estate that people are touring when they're on holidays. You know, <laughs> this is a mega rich dude who has a lot of, you know, a lot of exposure. So he feels very responsible for a lot of things and, you know, can't be himself or can't be comfortable. I mean, he's the most uncomfortable person. I think you're so right about Matthew McFadden because whereas Colin Firth kind of has like this natural Darcy-ness of, you know, being kind of seeming like he's kind of a little too high and mighty and, um, you know, kind of feels like he thinks highly of himself. Matthew McFadden just seems like so anxious. Yes. Socially anxious and ill, you know, suited to be in this society. Um, and he does yeah. such a good job. And that's just a Matthew McFadden thing. I don't know if you guys have seen Succession. Um, but we haven't actually. He's on that um, as this character, Tom Wamsgans, and he just won an Emmy for that, I think which is pretty huge because the acting on the show is insane and to be sticking out in the company of people like Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong is pretty huge. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's how good he is. And it's kind of almost a similar kind of thing. Like he is just in the situation where he's, you know, 
uncomfortable, like uncomfortable at all times. And Matthew McFadden is like such a pro at that. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah, and it, it, he is so nervous on both shows. I didn't I, I didn't really put it together as you were talking. I'm like, oh, my God, it does really sound like Tom. Yeah. From Succession. But it, it's like Tom is not as altruistic as no, Mr. No. Darcy. Well, you know I mean, what succession. I mean? Not even close. Yeah, succession. succession is not a Jane Austen property by <laughs> no. any means. It's way more Shakespearean you know dark shakespeare time it's like let's like mr darcy it's like bonnie tyler wrote <laughs> holding out for a hero for mr darcy <laughs> because he just rolls into town yeah. and he fixes everything like everything everything yeah. you're like wow yeah you know i i didn't understand again just how much this person did to make everything good yeah, and he keeps doing it because Wickham just keeps popping up and being the worst. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Darcy keeps having to pop up and fix it, going back behind him, sweeping it up. And, you know, it's super funny because, I mean, okay, this country group of people are like, they can smell money, right? Like, when Mr. <laughs> Bingley buys a house in the neighborhood, like, it is like, who let the dogs out? Like, everybody. <laughs> right? is like running after the sky like i mean mrs bennett is like out of control over oh, yeah, being she's frothing at the mouth yes i mean when they're at this party she's just like oh jane is the prettiest like oh he danced with charlotte lucas it's too bad she's not handsome you know? <laughs> i mean says it like right in front of charlotte too i'm like hello i mean charlotte gets her in the end but it's cool <laughs> that's so right true. But, so true. Uh, yeah charlotte I mean, will be turning her out of her own home exactly and at that point Things are pretty dire, so we don't know that, you know, things are going to work out for Jane then. But, you know, I mean, people are getting crazy. But it just shows you how much, how cringe Darcy is that they know how much money he makes. And they still are like, oh, we yes. hate this guy. We yes. do not like, he needs to go. Bingley, I love, love him. Darcy, <laughs> get out of here. They don't care how much money he has. He is not... He's no, he's a no go for all of them. He's not a nice guy. Yeah, no. You know, and Bingley is has like major himbo energy and is just like <laughs> delightful. And this and this Bingley, I think, is just like the cutest person who's ever lived. And his like, just like the ginger hair and like the happy little demeanor. And he's just, he's just like prancing around, having the time of his life. And I love him. And then he has this like absolutely dour as fuck friend. Yeah. He's just like harshing his vibe all the time and yes. making it impossible for him to not, uh, you know, to, to show up in, in this ball and like try to make a good impression. And his friend is just like behind him, making him look horrible and like glowering at everyone. Um, and still everyone is like, oh, yeah, we love Bingley. He's cute. He's great. But fuck Darcy. We don't want to have anything to do with him. Is it kind of like, would you say, is it kind of like, like really early? Fast and the Furious, like <laughs> Bingley's kind of like Paul Walker, no, and then Darcy's kind of like Vin Diesel, like a Dominic Toretto. This is the worst <laughs> thing that anyone has ever said. Do you do you feel like they take it a quarter mile at a time? Uh, I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce I, you. That was really awful. I was wow. saving that up. Guys. That was a really awful <laughs> way to start Love Month by uh, yeah, yeah doing something that would make us get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> 
I did it, guys. Yeah, I no, did it. There's no, no coming back. Should we? Should you we all had a good run. Should we? We had a good run. That was it. That was uh, that was 20, one month. What was that? 20, 21, 22 years. It's been a good run. We're done now. All right, guys. Yeah, no. Uh, I would not say that. Okay, that's fair. Actually, I don't know the movies enough to tell you. Maybe I've never you, seen The Fast and the Furious, so I I can't comment. He could have just made um, the best point ever, but I'm offended. <laughs> Well, here's one that is decent that I'll bring up. This actually speaks to what we were talking about. It actually has to do with the shooting style of the film. One of the things, you know, because you talked about, you know, when we actually first see Darcy and Lizzie at the ball and we instantly feel that attraction. I do feel it. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I do obviously feel it's from the acting, but I also feel it's because in this film, the camera is always moving. The camera is never still throughout every shot we're zooming in we're zooming out you know so it's like we have a modern feel on like this this very you know beautiful classic so it's like they put this newer energy into it and i feel that the runtime really flies in a large part Mm -hmm. because of this and i wasn't aware of the camera at first but when we were at, you know, the dinner table, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, we never stop moving. We literally never stop moving. Then we're at the parade. We never stop moving. And I kind of feel like it, it's the hunt for love. You know, that's kind of what we're seeing with that mm-hmm. camera. That's because that's what we're, we're going for at the end. Because we're finally still, when we have that mm. final shot, you know, of Lizzie and Darcy. That's really interesting. This movie does have a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And that was a yeah. big thing about the book, too. Like, um, Elizabeth is a girl who has a lot of energy. Like, people don't like that about certain people. Georgiana, uh, not Georgiana, Caroline Bingley doesn't like it. Um, but, you know, that's a big thing with Lizzie is that she isn't kind of necessarily your proper retiring kind of girl who, you know does all the sewing and playing piano and all these types of things of course she can do some of these things tolerably well but she also is you know going for a walk after the rain and getting mud all over her petticoats and and looking positively medieval (laughs) (laughs) but you know that energy about her is one of the things that darcy is attracted to is that she is kind of a go-getter and she gets up and does what she wants to do. And I think that part of the attraction is that he can't really do those things. Like he can't just Mm -hmm. follow his passion. He's not allowed Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, And really she shouldn't be allowed to do that either, but she does it anyway. And, you know, I think he admires that about her. Yeah, absolutely. And he's also trapped inside with Caroline Bingley all day. So like, you know, anyone's going to look great in comparison because she's just making everyone miserable. Um, Yeah, I think I think you're, you know, the point about the cinematography you were saying, John, is so important. I mean, that that's part of the reason that I first fell in love with this movie is I just think the cinematography is absolutely beautiful. Um, And really, I, I think the choices that they made about the camera and the way that they follow the characters and in all of these scenes, whether it's at the ball or when they're walking through town, you know, even just like the opening shot um, of the movie where the sun is coming up, like, you know, and you follow Lizzie throughout the house, like the intimacy of the house and everything um, I think is really amazing. And there's all these like really interesting shots, like, 
you know, when Lizzie and Jane are talking under the covers, like after they've, you know, gone to this ball and like met Mr. Darcy and just sort of like the way that it captures, you know, the smaller moments between the family um, and the way that it, you know, the camera is able to pick up on the intimacy of all of these moments by following the characters and, and just not stopping and doing these like boring, just straight ahead shots. Like it's really, I think a unique choice and one that I think serves the movie incredibly well. They're also really long shots. Yeah. And I think that's what contributes to this movie really successfully being able to build this world in such a short amount of time. Uh, It's impressive because there's a lot to this story. They move very quickly, but I think part the cinematography is part of what allows us to feel right from the very beginning of the movie that we have an understanding of their house and we've walked through the whole thing. It's these very long shots that are gorgeous. Um, and then there, there are the occasional still moments, but they they really stand out because yes. of that. And they're painted, almost, they're like a painting. Like the wide uh, shots that we get when we see mm-hmm. how small the character is. Yeah, incredible. Mm, yeah, there's a very specific one that I think about with that. It also is this amazing use of like weather and location and light that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, as after, you know... Darcy does the first proposal and they have this real fight um, Mm -hmm. which honestly reads almost a little too modern in a way like these two people are fighting with each other like the way that you know you would expect now like it it, you know they're they're taken out of themselves in this argument and after it's over like it it zooms back to like this wide shot where you know she's uh, Lizzie is standing in that beautiful thing, whatever it is, it's like a gazebo or something, and it's raining all around her, and she's just so tiny in there, and it just makes you see how tiny she is in the grand scheme of things, but also how powerful she is at the same time, because, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a girl who has pretty much nothing She's been told that straight up (laughs) by Mr. Collins. Um, And she has just been offered like a way out by, you know, the richest man in the world for all intents and purposes. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that because I would have to, you know, basically I would have to not be me in order to do that. And she says, no, it's more mm-hmm. important for me to be me, which isn't a smart decision. Like she's not making a smart decision, but it, you know, this is the second time she's made a not smart decision because, <laughs> right. you know, but denying, it's a true decision. Yeah. But she an has important to, one. she has to be herself. She has to be true to herself or she has even less than nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that in a way that's kind of a big thing about Lizzie is that, she knows what her situation is, but she also knows who she is. And that's what she can hold on to even in every bad situation she runs into is she still has like this core of who she is and who she has to be. I think that's kind of what you end up loving about her because she's a heroine that you really do love. Like if you've, you know, at this point, Sense and Sensibility had come out and I really like that book as well, but I have to say, I think that the Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet movie by Ang Lee improves on the book a bit. Mm-hmm. I think that Pride and Prejudice is, a, is probably Jane Austen's first fully, fully realized book. 
Mm -hmm. um and then i don't feel that she hits that height again until persuasion um those to me are her two perfect books um you know not that there's anything wrong with emma or sense and sensibility really but they just aren't what pride and prejudice is but the thing is that lizzie is so likable because of who she is and you know her refusal to compromise that um and i think kira knightley i wasn't sure when i saw this movie if i was gonna like it or not i didn't see this until maybe two or three years ago i didn't i did not see this when it Mm. came out I was a bit resistant to it. I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to like it that much. So I went to the movies by myself to you, see this? I, somebody did. Maybe ah. you went with somebody else. You didn't go with me. Yeah, I, I, I saw it in the movie movies. theater. Yeah. Um, I wasn't interested. I, at the time, felt like I knew, you know, I had seen the the good Pride and Prejudice and I was done. Because, like, the miniseries to me, that was like it. I was like, no, there's no way. It can't be better than I'm not going. <laughs> I didn't see the miniseries till later, but I mean, yes, it's uniformly excellent. I mean, with but Pride... this is too. This is just yes. a different. You know, it's the same story, and that's kind of the complaints that I've seen. Like when I, we looked this up and saw like the Rotten Tomatoes ratings and stuff, and the the biggest complaints about this were, I've seen this movie several times. You know, I've seen the story too many times. I'm like, shut up, please stop. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? You have cool. to take it on some merit, which are very high. Cool. But and then that, and it took me a long time to do that myself. But the interpretations of the characters are are so different that that it almost becomes a different story in some ways. And and Lizzie is maybe the most different. I agree. Of, of any of them, Jennifer L is so much more reserved. She's fantastic, uh, but Kira Knightley brings an energy. And uh, also, may, maybe an anachronistic vulnerability to to the character. And I think you're right. Like the, that fight between Darcy and uh, Elizabeth is completely anachronistic, right? That wouldn't have happened then. Um, and in the BBC, maybe just as a result of them having four really long episodes that they can draw this out of, or six. How many is it? Oh, I think whatever it, I it is, think it is six, actually. Um, they they can really explore more nuance by having a longer scene. And here, though, uh, I think we really get a sense of how much these characters need to fight and how much uh, is on the line for them, uh, and, and it's maybe a little bit modernized to a fault, um, but it's also more exciting. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think it's a fault. I think it's just a different take and I think that Kira Knightley's performance is more emotional. Um mm-hmm. a good example for me would be when, you know, Darcy says, you know, that he doesn't think she's pretty enough or whatever, um, and she overhears this. I don't think before I realized how much that hurt. Lizzie or I don't think Mm -hmm. it was played as hurting Lizzie and in this it hurts her she is hurt by this and she does immediately kind of shake it off and act like you know oh yeah whatever you know and and really plays it off 
and even throws it back in his face like in this big mic drop moment later mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but you know i think that we see her be hurt more and we see her have more emotion and i do think that part of that is really good point that you brought up that they kind of have to establish a lot of this a lot quicker Um, Because this is a long book, a long story. If you try to put in every detail of this book into a movie, it's going to be long, like that miniseries. But if you're trying to condense this into like two hours, it's going to take, it's going to take some uh, intensity that Mm -hmm. (laughs) they do bring in here in a good way. Another thing I I really like about Kira Knightley's Lizzie is, is how her faults are really on display. She's almost more childish. Um, And all the things that we really love about her are also at an extreme. They are her biggest faults. Her sense of self is also her having too much pride and too too much prejudice, uh, (laughs) dare I say. say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think that's something that's true about all the characters in this story that, you know, for, or at least for a lot of them, the things that make them really lovable are also sort of false, right? Bingley is, you know, sort of a doofus, but he's really nice. Uh, Darcy is not very nice, but he's kind. And, uh, he, he is maybe a, a little taciturn and, um, he can be kind of cruel, but it comes from this sense of being protective and wanting to do the right thing the way he knows how to do it. Uh, Jane is really, really modest, but maybe she doesn't know how to show her emotions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's a really astute observation. And I also think Mr. Collins in this, (laughs) this film version he seems like a serial killer. Um, <laughs> he is just, horrifying to that me. That could just be the Tom Hollander of it all. Tom God. Hollander does terrify me literally in anything that he's in. <laughs> I, I'm going to be very frank. Some people just have, you know, that for me. That Like, I immediately have that reaction. You know, like, I see Ian Holm, you're evil. Like, and I, it's just like Tom Hollander you are going to murder me tonight you know (laughs) and it's just like so it's his part is funny and his goofiness and his awkwardness is there but painful it's it is but it's for me again it's honest to god it it feels like a serial killer in training like they're just trying to make you feel (laughs) comfortable enough to take that walk with them that you don't come back from. Got to do a welfare check on Charlotte. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's very good acting, you know, and, and there's there, great stuff. And again, this is just probably my, my personal reaction. Um, generally speaking to this actor again, it didn't help that he was in bird box. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. I don't want to ruin anything, but no, my, no, I like... won't, but he, he's scary to me. Like it, it's like, I don't know. Some comedy, is like i would say good-natured funny but for me with mr (laughs) collins it's kind of like christopher lloyd and who framed roger rabbit funny like like, Uh, you know what i mean like just like he'll do anything for the patronage of the esteemed lady catherine de berg exactly (laughs) (laughs) it's a new spinoff and she would cover yeah catherine would cover that shit up yeah, Lady <laughs> Catherine de Berg, 
She would cover that shit <laughs> she up. Is, she's evil too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, they're both pretty evil. Totally. Like when she tries but, to shut down the marriage at the end. I mean, Judy Dench. Oh man, so fantastic. And a couple of funny things that I read in trivia. Joe Wright did not want Kira Knightley because he thought that she was too attractive to play Lizzie. And with Judy Dench, how he got her into the production is that he said, you know, I really love it when I see you be an awful person. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, that was it. You know what I mean? Then she came on board and Judy Dench perfect in everything oh she's so good in of this oh, i mean yeah. she kind of sails in there you know yeah like the this battleship of a person and totally i just it's perfect i mean I, and this I is her wheelhouse her. too you oh. know as a as a character actor this is like what she does and she does it flawlessly you know her her lady catherine i you know, it, again, it's so hard not to compare the miniseries because there are a lot of choices I think this film makes that are really interesting. And, you know, I, I think that um, obviously Lady Catherine is less fleshed out for a lot of reasons in this movie, just because it's shorter and there's less screen time for her. Um, but I think your point, John, about Mr. Collins being a serial killer, which I totally get with Tom Hollander, because I think that, you know, I think that he plays this character... I mean, he, Mr. Collins, I, I just think is a hilarious character and there is so much comedy and Tom Hollander, I think, strikes a really amazing balance of like really leaning into those moments where it's just like absolutely hilarious the way that he has no idea how odious he is. Um, like when he, you know, wants to read Fordyce's sermon after they've just had this like very tense dinner where everyone hates his guts. Um he but, pulls you know, out but the also book at the table. Yes. I think I'd rather be serially killed. Yeah. Than listen to two hours. Of listen to sermon. Yeah. But I, but I actually, I, I think your point is really true, John, because I do think that this version of Mr. Collins, there is like, I don't, I don't know if it's like a sinister thing, but it's like, he really, he has a very clear sense of the power that he has over this family. And I think that he tries so mm -hmm. hard to wield that power over Lizzie and that's and that's the reason that it crashes and burns, right? Because he's coming up against this like, I mean, talk about a battleship. Like when it comes to like who she is, like she's like, I will never marry this like turd of a man who's yeah. just like, you know. But but I think it I think that is so true, John, because he really does lean into the sinister nature of that. Like this is someone who, you know, through no you know act of generosity or anything has just inherited this estate because he's some random cousin and he's the only next male heir and he is so acutely aware of the power that he has over all of especially the women in this house mm -hmm. um and i think that that is something that this film does really well is like mr collins is a scary ass motherfucker like yes. he like there is something very frightening about the power that he knows that he has and when he gets rejected mm -hmm. so brutally um, and then there's that incredible scene that Danny and I die at where Brenda Blythe is running after Lizzie and those geese are like flying, you know, and, and she's just like absolutely like wailing at her, to, you know, um, and the comet, the, the, you know, the equal measure of like really sinister, you know, desperation and also this like extremely hilarious physical comedy in that scene, I think is just great. And Mr. Hollander again, yeah, with the power, just like you're saying, Kate, it's like he really wants to let you know he's doing you yeah. a favor. Oh, yeah. I'm doing totally. you a favor, guys. Ugh. You know what I mean? I'm your cousin. Yeah. I'm just doing you a favor. 
You know what I mean? Oh, Jane's not available. I'll just move on to the next one. Like exactly. someone in this family is going to need me. You know, like I wish he had kept going because Mary might have been a good prospect. <laughs> Mary That's totally would have been a good prospect. Like, why didn't he go for Mary? She wanted to hear four days of sermon. She she was she on sure that did. shit. And in this version, you know, <laughs> in this version, they actually do have like Mary kind of be like, oh, uh, maybe I like this guy, and I'm like, girl, Ron. Yes, but like. At the same time, you know, she wouldn't make a terrible wife for him. He just picked, like, the worst possible person, which Lizzie tells him, you've picked the worst possible person. And he doesn't know, he can't take no for an answer. He doesn't hear the word no coming out of a woman's mouth. And it's gross. Um, And then poor Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte... Well, the thing I mean, with Charlotte, poor Charlotte and not poor Charlotte. You Charlotte know. does what she does for the reason that she does it, and she knows exactly what she's doing. She's twenty eight totally. years old, and twenty eight years old, you got nothing. You have no prospect at twenty eight years old. She has given up. She has given up so long ago that she probably doesn't even barely remember giving up. Like twenty eight is yeah. old back then i mean being that age and unmarried then was like you know you might as well have been dead it's like you know there was like what what point is there to your life if you're not married with children at that point yeah um and yeah i think i think she is so acutely aware of you know this is a very pragmatic thing for her like she knows that she's going to have protection she's going to be you know out of her parents home not a burden on them anymore Um, and also I think, you know, I personally think that Charlotte doesn't want any man. And I think that she just wants to enjoy her garden and her little study and have her friends there for tea and have her shithead husband, like, you know, chasing the pig down the lane (laughs) and just leave her alone. And maybe to her, like, that's okay. And she knows that it's a choice that she's making, you know, and, and she, you know, she really gives it to Lizzie where she's like, you know, not all of us can afford to be romantic. Like, you know, this is an economical decision for me. Um, and, you know, Lizzie just gets really lucky that she marries like the richest man in the world, um, who she also happens to love. But the reality is that Charlotte reflects a lot of women of that time who just did not have, you know, there was no choice other than, oh shit, I got to get married. Uh, I need to produce an heir. I'm not going to have any of my own money and this is what I have to do to survive. And she does it. Yeah. Well, the problem I, I think that, that we see is, and it, it's like, I really caught this in the movie. She's in the study, you know, with Lizzie and it's like, okay, I have this room. This is my room. He won't mm-hmm. bother me in here. What happens? She gets bothered in there. So it just shows that like, <laughs> there are no boundaries do you know what I mean? And it's it's very it, her story to me is very tragic because she is really trying to make the best of a bad situation. But it, it it's like even, you know, for that moment, it's just like, oh, my God, she well, doesn't even have the room. You know what I mean? She has to go to no. the estate of Lady Catherine de Berg with that sad little feather in her hair and like (laughs) (laughs) the feather is so sad it is depressing and then she's invited to play the pianoforte in the maid's quarters because she won't be a bother to anyone there like you know she's probably dragged to that fucking house like three times a week for dinner and just listening to her terrible husband just suck up to this old woman (laughs) well I, i tend to agree but maybe we should take her at her word when she says it's so nice 
to be the mistress of her own house. And, and she says she is proud to go three times a week okay. to, yeah. uh, You're to right. Lady Catherine. So. And eventually she's going to get longborn. And if she can have a male baby, there then you go. she's set for life. So that's, you know, I mean, she's got to realize to take one for the team for that to happen. But oh, God. I guess oh, she's yeah. kind of gone for it. So. Oof. She's like literally made her bed. Now she has to lie on it. <laughs> but oh, uh, you know, I mean, I I understand. <laughs> it is. It is. That just shows you how hard it was to be a woman Oof. back then. Hello. Uh, but yeah, hopefully it all works out for Charlotte. There's like a lot of uh, novels that kind of do the after Pride and Prejudice, kind of picking up the story where it left off. So. I've yeah. read like one of those and I don't think I loved it, but I think like everything was going good for Charlotte. So I think everybody knows how bad it is and tries to do something good for Charlotte. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, Mr. Collins is, you know, he's such a manipulative person. Um, and I think it's easy to see him as like a clown or a buffoon but he is also like super manipulative because he's coming here in the guise of being magnanimous to this mm -hmm. family that he's, you know, he has, he needs to get married to serve as an example for the parish or bullshit, whatever. <laughs> but Lady Catherine told him to. Yeah. Lady right? Catherine said, get married. Yeah. That's his sponsor. She yeah, probably, yeah. he was probably <laughs> sniffing around her daughter and, he was she's like go get married <laughs> poor Anne. so <laughs> poor sickly Anne. so you know he, he goes to this place and says oh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be so magnanimous and marry one of you and you know it's all under the guise of helping them out yeah but it, it's really just to make himself seem you know who else is he gonna get like he doesn't have people lining up to marry his sad ass <laughs> you know no and so, he already has the the inheritance so he doesn't yeah. need a wife technically well, i mean he doesn't technically need it i feel know? like he like, i feel like he thinks that he can go here and say that he's doing it for them and just get a free wife without having to do anything <laughs> you free know wife. like Oof. and and it's just like okay i'm just gonna pick one of these it's like he's going to the grocery <laughs> store it's just like come for the boiled potatoes stay for the free wife <laughs> I, I mean that's kind of what he treats it like it's just like he feels so entitled to these women yeah you know absolutely. To one, you know and mrs bennett you know doesn't dissuade him from that um because she's trying to secure her future and her children's future but yeah you know i just think it's a good thing that in a way Lizzie's dad failed to be a good dad at that moment and instead yeah. agreed with her and you know has that funny thing Absolutely. Of, from this day forward you have to be a stranger to one of your parents because <laughs> your mother won't see you if you don't marry him and I won't see you if you do <laughs> it's a great line it's so good uh, yeah what I've got here is I feel like I, I really feel like um, like Mr. Collins is the type of guy that's like 
in secret, kind of like an aspiring DJ. And he (laughs) wants you to like catch his set. You know what I mean? And he just kind of puts on shades and a hat so you can't tell. No. Yeah, that's what I think. Well, that's kind of like the male version of Mary, right? Because Mary just wants to go to all the parties and play oh. piano and sing. And... She could lay down the beats. Yeah. Oh, wow. That would have been That's good. That's what I'm telling you. He should have gone for Mary. <laughs> Things would have worked out a lot different. Oh, no. So, yeah, that was my, my great addition. So, do you guys have, I know we've talked about quite a few, do you have a, a favorite scene in Pride and Prejudice? Oh, I, I'm probably going to regret my choice right off the bat. <laughs> I really like when they take a turn about the room. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, now that I have uh, a two-year-old, I actually take a turn about the room quite frequently. (laughs) Or never not taking turns about the room. I just, I love the concept that that's a thing that one could choose to do. Come, let's take a turn about the room. (laughs) What the hell else are you going to do? You know, you're like in high society and you're wearing these fucking corsets. You can't breathe. And you basically have to be standing at all times because sitting is excruciating. So like, yeah, you're going to take a turn about the room because like literally what else are you going to do? It's not dinner time. Cocktail hour hasn't started yet. It's after tea time. You're watching Mr. Darcy write a letter. You're trying to flirt. It's not working. All you're going to do is take a turn about the room. Yeah. Karen, right? I, I, mean, I mean, what else is there? It's such a great scene because uh, it does build these characters really well. Like, mm-hmm. you, it fleshes them out so much. And it also really drives forward the relationship or the budding relationship between Lizzie and Darcy. Um, yeah. And it shows you that he is smart and he is sharp. Um, in a way that you didn't necessarily get to see before because he's starting to become more comfortable um, talking to her and kind of even like <gasps> being flirtatious, which he barely can even muster, but he manages it. <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> and, you know, I think that he's able to do it because he's so like absolutely irritated to death by Caroline Bingley, who just doesn't shut up ever. No, you know, so, oh, you write so quickly. Yeah, no, I don't. I write slow. You know, oh, can you tell your sister this? And he's like, why don't you tell? You know, she's just, she always has to have something to say, and he's just so uninterested. But then he actually like manages to kind of say something clever, you know, about yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I I think that he says there's two things that they could be doing by taking a turn about the room, and him joining them would ruin either one. Either they're walking around to be seen, in which case he can see them much better when he's sitting down, or they're telling secrets, <laughs> and they wouldn't be able to tell secrets if he was there. So that's actually yeah. almost funny. Like, Mr. Darcy almost made a joke. Everybody yeah, he clapped. almost flirted. He almost made a joke. Yeah, I, I love that scene as well. And I also, I'm, I'm very partial to the scene after that where you know, all the remaining uh, Bennett's show up at, at Netherfield Hall and, you know, the footman comes in and says, a Mrs. Bennett, a Miss Bennett, a Miss Bennett, and a Miss Bennett. And they all just like sigh onto the couch and they're in these like ridiculous, colorful outfits. And then Mary's just like an all black, you know, and looks like she's going to a funeral. Um, she's like Johnny Cash, like rolling in with the rest of them are in like pastels. <laughs> and, you know, they just proceed to embarrass the shit out of everyone. It's horrible. Um, yeah, that's so cringy. I, I love any scene in this movie where women are flitting about trying to like 
you know, make something happen. Like, you know, towards the end where Bingley finally comes over to propose to Jane and they're frantically trying to like, you know, pretend to be just like they've been sitting and, you know, <laughs> reading in elegant positions and they're throwing ribbons through the air and like, you know, shoving drawers aside. And then, you know, they open the doors and they're all just like perfectly still, like they've been there the whole time. Um, you know, and, and all of these airs that they're putting on, but they're, but it's, it's real. Like the urgency is real. Um, and it, it's so silly, but at the same time, like, you know, like we've been saying, this is kind of life or death for them and they have to make these, these things work. Um, but I love, you know, how, how silly, uh, you know, Mrs. Bennett can be. And I, and even though Lydia and Kitty are annoying as hell, they're also just deeply entertaining, especially in this film. I think that they have a great cast. Like there's Carrie Mulligan, there's Jenna Malone, both who are Mm -hmm. amazing actors and, you know, have this youthfulness and this total like absurdity to them that I think is just a really great counterpart to, you know, Jane and Lizzie and, and also to Mary, who is like just this little rain cloud who's like playing (laughs) piano all over the house. Um, But I, I find those scenes to be like, you know, any scene where all of them are sort of like clamoring through this big house and you're seeing the intimacy and the small moments there. Um, that to me is really what sticks out the most. I, I would actually like to just quickly change my favorite scene. <laughs> uh, my, I think my favorite scene is when uh, it's just a little moment when Mr. Darcy is helping Mr. Bingley get ready to propose. Oh, yes. I love that scene. I love that. They, yes. It's not in the book. They add it. It's absolutely perfect. And then there's a moment when he says, uh, uh, Mr. Bingley says, Hello, Miss Bennett and Mr. Darcy hat. in his deepest Matthew McFadian <laughs> voice. He says, Mr. Bingley. It's so sweet. Your friendship is very sweet. It is. Because yeah, they really are truly too. friends. You know, you can see that. And, you know, we do find out that Darcy discouraging Bingley from Jane was you know, because he really didn't understand that she really loved him. Like, you know, Danny, you had said her modesty is kind of maybe it's, it's like her strongest point, but also her biggest drawback because she doesn't like let people know how she really feels so they can think what they want. But, you know, as soon as he finds out that that was not the case, that he was wrong, he immediately starts trying to fix it, which I think, is different than Jane and uh, not Jane different than Elizabeth because Elizabeth with Wickham is really working with confirmation bias for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really feel like I got it as much in this movie as I did in the book, probably just cause I didn't have as much time, but in the book, like you can really tell that Lizzie just has a crush on Wickham because he's cute. And he's really funny and clever and easy Mm -hmm. with company, you know, and he's really good at getting people to like him. And she just falls for it hook, line, and sinker and just kind of has, you know, has like a a partiality for him from the get-go and is just ready to believe that Darcy has treated Wickham poorly. And it takes quite a while, you know, for her to get that she has been wrong. Um, and, and it really doesn't totally happen until 
he takes, you know, he runs off with Lydia, which is like the most horrible thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. You know, at that point, she finally gets it that Wickham is a piece of shit, which, you know, everybody's kind of been <laughs> indicating toward for a while. Yeah. And it's so easy for her to believe Wickham because Darcy's only been a prick to her. So like, what else is she going to go on? Um, you know, but I, I think that's so true. I mean, the thing about Darcy is that, you know, he, he really does mess up in so many big ways, but he is actually remarkably quick to, you know, do the right thing. Like, you know, you were talking about how that's, you know, he has this really, really strong moral compass and this really intense sense of duty. And, you know, even though what he did separating Jane and Bigling was wrong, you know, you also like really believe that he did it with the best of intentions, that he really did not think that she loved him. And she, and he really did not think um, <clears throat> he couldn't see any reason why they would be a good match. And, and, you know, that was kind of stupid on his part, but once he really got it, he gets it. Um, and, and yeah, the I mean, Bennets are ridiculous. And the Bennets are, I mean, listen, they're ridiculous. Wrong. Yeah, He's, he's not wrong. wrong. They are wackadoodle. Um, they are nuts. And they're totally <laughs> inappropriate. You yeah. Know? And he's, they wouldn't fit into the society that, that, you know, they run with, you know, Caroline no. Bingley is just the tip of the iceberg of these kind of judgmental upper crusters, you know, that are going to be. Listen, I would down. pay good money to see a scene of Mrs. Bennett meeting Lady Catherine de Berg for tea. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I would, I would, I would really just go for that so intensely. Cause they really only meet when Lady Catherine shows up in the middle of the night to, you know, yell at Lizzie about how she's, you know, trash and can't marry into her family. Um, and they don't really interact. But, you know, I I just feel like if you think it's bad with her being with Caroline Bingley, if she got in Lady Catherine's face, I mean, yeah. there would be like bloodshed, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, you know, cause she's a scary woman. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't really fit in. They are ridiculous. And Lizzie does start to really see that um but it just takes her a while like you know the whole thing with her is that even though she does have some hardship to deal with it's mostly in the future like mm -hmm. you know up to the point where bangley shows up and darcy shows up they haven't really had to deal with a lot of great challenges personally like not that yeah. I can see, you know, they've been pretty well taken care of. They have a nice place to live. It may not be, a, you know, a huge estate, but they're doing okay. They're getting by. They know that there's this looming disaster somewhere far down the road, but it's yeah. not like, you know, they've really had to deal with a lot of super hard things, but, you know, then these things start to happen and, it does change who Lizzie is and how she deals with things and how she views things as she does have to deal with these hardships. Whereas I think we could say that Darcy's probably gone through some difficulties in his life already. You know, he's already lost his father, presumably his mother at some point. Um, he's dealt with this profligate Wickham who's tied to his family um, and has tried to abscond with his younger sister who he loves very much. You know, and he keeps having to bail this asshole out, like, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and he's never going to stop now. 
Um, oh, but God. you know, it's the first the first draft of this novel is called First Impressions, and I think that would have been a really mm-hmm. good title as well because mm-hmm. it is very much about you know making a first impression or having a first impression of somebody and how that impression changes, you know, and how difficult it can be to have that impression change because everybody in town is convinced that they know who Darcy is after that first ball. Um, And even to the point where he's proposed to Lizzie and she's accepted and he's, you know, they're trying to convince her father, her father, who's generally very insightful, you know, at least in some ways with Lizzie, it's like, but you don't like him. You know, everyone's like, but Lizzie hates that guy. Why Why would she think about marrying him? You know, nobody gets it because they, everybody he's a proud, still thinks. proud, unpleasant sort of fellow. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> still thinks he's, you know, a pompous jerk and they, you know, he can't do anything because he's already been categorized. Um, and, you know, the same thing with Wickham. Wickham is like a pleasant, nice guy and, and everybody thinks he's great and likes him. Mm-hmm. And even after he runs off with Lydia, and this does start to piss me off, frankly. Like, I get, I, I kind of am with you with Lydia that she's idiotic but harmless. But then when she runs off and then comes back married and acts like everything's great, I want to just throttle her until she dies, basically. <laughs> and maybe Wickham, yeah. too. I mean, Wickham really stab him and throw him off a bridge he's done but like (laughs) but also like she's a child you know i mean that's the thing that like you know kills me about the whole thing is that i mean she's literally 15 years old and you know it's it's not totally clear to me how old i'm assuming wickham and darcy are about the same age i mean i always i always thought that they were like probably in their 30s like early 30s is, is how i read them it's possible that they're younger than that, but it's it's very likely. I mean, Lizzie, I think, is supposed to be 21 um, when the book takes place. And, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, I think canon that he's older than her. Um, you know, so I'm assuming they're in their late 20s or early 30s. But, I mean, this is a fully adult man who is running off with a child. And, yes, Olivia is, you know, annoying as shit. Um, but at the same time, like, you just want to, like, scream for this girl because it's like this is a baby who's you know being overtaken by this creepy older guy um and not only that but he's tried to do that with georgiana who you know darcy's sister who i think is at the same age as lydia um so this is like you know a pattern where you're like this guy's scary yeah i mean i think i think he's actually the super villain i do too Um, i don't think we're ever like i don't think any of the film adaptations ever make Wickham as disgusting and gross as he should be. I mean, because he does have to be appealing to people and and you have to feel like you like him, but I just think he's so shady, you know? He's like Willoughby from Sense and Sensibility times like a thousand. You just, yeah, the guy is a mess. Um, And Lydia, yeah, she's young, but she knows better. She so knows better than how she acts and in this in this version, I think that she's annoying when she comes back. But in the miniseries, I absolutely can't stand her. Like she tells Jane to get out of the way because she's first now because she's married. Yeah, and I'm like, ooh, somebody punched this little jackass. I can't stand her. 
Um, but yeah, Lydia, oh, such a such a dumbass, and so potentially could have ruined everything if Darcy hadn't been like the bigger person in every possible way. It's the parents' fault. Huh? It is totally. the parents' fault. You know, Mrs. Bennett also. As soon as Lydia's married, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. like all of all is forgiven. Oh, one of my daughters is married now. Well, I love that scene where she's, you know, absolutely beside herself, just lying in bed like she, you know, she's about to die, you know, because <laughs> her daughter's run off. And then she gets word that she's married and suddenly she's like, I'm healed. And she like runs out of bed, you know, <laughs> after like, you know, acting like she's 20 seconds from death. And, you know, just runs down the stairs, prepare the dinner, get everything ready. You know, and I, I mean, that's Brenda Blythe and just being like a comedic genius that she's able to switch like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's really kind of wild, you know, like all of a sudden your 15 year old is married to this creepy old man and you're like, oh, this is great. Happiest day of my life. A daughter married. <laughs> yeah. What could be better? It's kind of like, if you think about it, it's like Moonstruck. It's like Danny Aiello's yes. with the mother, right? And then she totally. gets up, she cooks, right? It's, it's exactly what you're saying. So it's <laughs> it, it's like all of these things, you know, that are in these stories. I mean, they just, they, they come back around. That's amazing. I've never made that connection. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She made a meal that could choke a pig. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So who is your guys? Do you guys have a favorite character? Is it too hard to pick? <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask if, if you were a character in this, who That's would you be? That's a good be? question. Because mm-hmm. I already have some ideas for all of us. Uh-oh. Oh, do tell. <laughs> do tell, Danny. Danny's reading us all the filth out here. I mean... That's a hard question. Um, I would have, I think everybody would love to say that they're like a, a Lizzie. When I first read this, I felt like a Lizzie. My teacher gave me um, a little packet of note cards that were Jane Austen quotes. And one of them that she, the reason that she bought it for me is because one of them had follies and nonsense, whims and inconsistencies do divert me, I own, and I laugh at them whenever I can. And she she's like, that's so you, which it is, because I am nothing if not, like, delighted by absurdity at all times. Yes. Um, to the point of irritating John to death, I'm sure. Because anytime somebody does something horrendous, John is upset by it, and I just am laughing at how somebody can do something so horrendous. Um, but I'm also, like, a very Darcy kind of person, too, because... I feel like I do so many things to, like, fix, you know, people um, behind Mm. the scenes with no credit. And, you know, I don't even have the benefit of being, you know, the richest man in England. So (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I think you're Mr. Darcy because you're a very kind person, but you can also, you, you can have a little bite. Yes, I can. And I'm also kind of socially awkward. You know, everybody that listens to the podcast doesn't know that because I'm charming and sparkly on here. But (laughs) um, in reality, I'd like to point out you are charming and sparkly (laughs) to your friends as well. No, that's your friends. But we have to be friends. Like there's been, I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I've had to go to a party or whatever with people I don't know. 
And by the end of the party, I'm practically, you know, on the floor doing stand up or something, you know. <laughs> and I've had people, people who are the kind of people that really tell you what they think, saying, you know, when you first got here, I thought you hated all of us. <laughs> and you were really quiet and you seemed like you weren't really happy to be here. But you mm. really changed after we got to know you a little bit. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's about as Darcy as it can be, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. I think that tracks totally. You know who I think you are. Who? <laughs> oh no. On your Mr. on your Collins. Good, no. <laughs> no. On on your good days, you're very much a, a Lizzie. No, I'm more of a Jane. No, you really I, I, I you I think, think so, I, but I disagree with you. I think I'm more Jane. You're going to say you're not, that I'm you're Mrs. Not Bennett when my nerves get the best of me. You are so Mrs. And I actually have a quote I'd like to read <laughs> to demonstrate why. This is excellent. <laughs> Tell them what a dreadful state I am in, that I am frighted out of my wits and have such tremblings, such flutterings all over me, and such spasms in my side and pains in my head, such beatings at heart that I can get no rest by night nor by day. I rest my case, you are Mrs. Bennett. No, that is literally me. Um, well, I don't know what to tell you. You married someone who has OCD that manifests as hypochondria um, and is just like a clinically insane person. You're so that's your fault. Insane. Yeah, I, Danny and I joke about this all the time because, you know, the, the scene in Pride and Prejudice where, you know... Uh, you know, I think it's towards the beginning where uh, Mrs. Bennett thinks that Mr. Bennett has not paid a visit to Netherfield Hall to like secure their daughter's future. <laughs> and she says, oh, you tease me. You have no regard for my nerves. And he says, on the contrary, my dear, your nerves have been my constant companion for these 25 years. That's literally Danny. I said that to you. you. Have, you have said that to me. Because while I'm, you know, our daughter is two and, you know, I'm not going to try to marry her off, but I am just probably the most anxious person who's ever lived. And, you know, I do often have flutterings because I'm so nervous. <laughs> and Danny, um, I think sometimes we really do uh, have that exact dynamic where I am just like beside myself with anxiety. And you're sort of like, you know, uh, in 30 Rock where Liz Lemon is throwing up and, uh, Jack Donaghy's behind her with the broom going there, there. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of like... That's amazing. Not really. You're a very loving husband, but we we do sometimes have that dynamic. Um, but yeah, I actually do think I'm more Jane than Lizzie. Why? I would like to think that I am Lizzie, and I think in some ways I am. But I also am very much a Jane in that I am extremely dutiful. Um, and, you know, oftentimes... And I think it's changes I've gotten older, but I think that, like... Growing up, I definitely had this sense of like duty and this sense of needing to be together for everyone um, and like needing to keep my own stuff, um, you know, inhibited in order to keep the peace in the family. And that's definitely like, you know, the the vibe that I've had, like, you know, being a caretaker to a lot of people in my family. Um, and so I think it's changed as I've gotten older and definitely like, you know, just with you know, now being in my thirties and like trying to, um, move away from that. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think I would like to think of myself as more of a Lizzie. And, and I think that I do have some qualities that, you know, I think are similar, but whenever I, I see Jane, uh, 
you know, and I love Rosamund Pike in, in this. I think she's a great Jane yeah. and really, and really humanizes her more and gives her more of an interiority and like a, you know, an ownership over her own life that I think is really important because I see that in Jane in the book. Um, but I just think I'm a Jane. I don't know. I just like, I feel really connected to her, um, you know, and um, I just, I, I don't know. There's a lot about her that I think is uh, very much how I operate in my life. She's very right. um, to herself. Like she, yes, you know, even Lizzie doesn't know everything about Jane. Like Jane kind of plays it close to the vest mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I really like her as a character. And it's funny when I first read the book, I wished I was more like Jane, but mm. I, cause I felt like, you know, she's more of kind of like the ideal person, you know, in the world of this book anyway. And I just don't see myself that way because I cannot keep my opinions to myself. Like I can keep my emotions <laughs> to myself. Opinions, not so much. Thus the Mr. Darcy is back thing. again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause Darcy, I mean, that's the thing that, again, I, I feel very akin to Darcy. Like, when he's had it, he's had it, and you're going to hear about it, and <laughs> you're not going to not hear about it. Like, you know, he feels, when he feels like he's right, and you're trying to tell him he's not right, you're going to hear a lot about how you're wrong. And John has heard mm-hmm. a lot in his life. <laughs> he's heard so much that he probably never wants to hear any of it again, but... Yeah, I mean, when you get in an argument with me, it's like arguing with, like, a lawyer. Like, <laughs> the evidence books come out. Like, <laughs> you present like, a solid case. Well, like, that's the yeah. thing. Like, you know, I was, like the proposal scene, the first proposal scene, they yell at each other. You know, he, he's, she's given him the business. He's given her the business. <laughs> and then he has to have the last word. He has to write that letter and be like yeah. all right i've had time to calm that you get a text from me like that letter like every time we have a fight <laughs> i'm like all right i've had some time to calm down and now you need to understand that these are the problems and i'm saying this in a very calm way and you need to understand and that's really yeah that's my darcy and then answer. you sign it fitzwilliam darcy <laughs> <laughs> is that that's his name yeah his co- it's very confusing because his cousin it's is very Colonel confusing Fitzwilliam. that's right it's yeah. a family name so yeah, but fitzwilliam i mean what a what a name all right john who are you I don't. Danny, who do you one. think John is? Maybe you go. You go with that. I mean, I'm serious. There's like, there's a few of them. I think I could be, truthfully. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, you're oh. such a Lydia. You know exactly. That's exactly. It. No, I'm joking. I know a Lydia. I'm related to two of them. Oh boy, <laughs> shots fired. I might have, you know, gone to London to take care of it a couple times. <laughs> Not, you know, fig- like figuratively. Yeah. Oh, you went to London. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, I had to go time. down to London to handle some things. Yeah. It's for me. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I I would say that I can relate to Lizzie in that she follows her passion whatever that may be so i feel like okay Mm -hmm. i can go with that and then again it's just like my idea of mr bennett you know where it's like i kind of feel like he pulls through but you're not quite sure you know what he's up to necessarily you know what i mean like 
you know, like smoking a blunt in the study and, you know, giving the <laughs> approval, you know, I'd be like, yeah, this is going to be a good day, you know, yeah. got anybody else coming? But, you know, it, it's like, so, you know, I can see that because again, it, it's just like that kind of character I grew up really liking. And my father had that. He, ha he yeah. was very mm -hmm. funny. He was very low key. And, and you may not fully know what he's doing, but in the end you go, oh my God, you did all that. Uh, the Mr. Darcy thing, I could think about just in the sense that when I see something that's off, I want to take care of it. I, I don't I don't want to wait. Mm -hmm. I want to do it and I want to do it right. And I, I do have, you know, my own like sense of honor. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what I got. I mean, I don't know. There's like you have a salad <laughs> of Ooh. characters. And I, just as a dressing on your salad, oh I, I would I would add a little Bingley Ooh, into the mix. Little Bingley, because you're you're a good time, John. People want to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's very true. You're 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 the life of the party. You walk into that ball in Meriton, and everyone wants to be your friend. Oh yeah, everyone's gonna stop and smile. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. believe this about himself, and I tell him oh this God. all the time. I'm like, you John. are like so appealing to people like when you when people yes. meet you everyone loves you you're like you know you're the pretty princess you're, <laughs> you're the mr bangley and i'm the mr darcy oh my god. If, if bangley and darcy got together that would be us Ooh. oh my god so it's like mm. i'm paul walker no. and you're vin diesel <laughs> no. oh my god that's so good we should go racing together that's such a that's so bangley bangley would love Fast and Furious. He it's, would think it's a I great mean, franchise. Yeah, yeah. He would adore it. Yeah, no, I think I definitely see like inside. I don't think you're very much like Bingley because no. Bingley no. is kind of a daft kind of little prat. But like he's a himbo. <laughs> well, especially in this movie, yeah. they they play that up. In this yeah, movie. totally. Yeah, I mean, he's in the miniseries. A, he's more of a fleshed out character. Yeah. In this, he is very much just like with that giant like wave of red hair. Um, but yeah, you, you know, on the, this is like the way people respond to you is more like a Bingley because mm. people do love you. If you showed up in town, everyone would be like, he's at Netherfield. We must go. Yeah. <laughs> and he has 5,000 a year, <laughs> but he's also like a really good natured guy. You know, he's just friendly and, and nice to everyone. And, you know, those yeah. are good qualities that you have. But yes, I do see you very Lizzie-esque um, in some ways as well. Because you're kind of stubborn like she is. Yeah. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. You, and yeah, you would never marry Mr. Collins. No. <laughs> no, like, I mean, there are things that I have just... He's terrified of Tom Hollander. <laughs> no way. You know what I mean? Get him the fuck away from me. Like, yeah, no, but it, it's seriously, I mean, that that is it. Like, I, I mean, that was when I thought about it with Lizzie, because there have been times in my life when there have been, you know, things that have come my way that, you know, people would be like, you can't say no to this. And I did. I was just like, no, thank mm -hmm. you. You yeah. know, it's like, I'll take the next train, you yeah, know? Exactly. So it, it's, I don't know, it's interesting, but thank you guys for making me feel very loved. I like that, you know, it <laughs> feels good, you know, and it's, and it's fun, you know, when you think about all the characters in this and what a great, great picture this paints. And Danny, I keep thinking about what you said, you know, it, it, it's just like, I keep thinking about like 
you know, who are we? And I'm like, oh my God, I can think about all of these other little things <laughs> and each one of us. And, and, you know, the point that they came up earlier um, about Wickham guys, like I, I do think that he is, you know, like the Voldemort of the story. <laughs> and it's just like, because I don't know what's cooking. You know what I mean? He, it, it's kind of like he's at Mount Doom, you know, is that, is that what the hell it was in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah he's like, in, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like one ring to rule them all. He has it. Do you get what I mean? And he's really bad. She must have really known somebody who was a vile, vile bastard who had a W name. Because I just realized, like, Wickham and Willoughby are, like, both, like, these rakes. They're terrible. And it's just like, oh, send yeah, out the totally orcs. Rakes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think there are orcs and there are bent swords and fires. And I don't think that we got any more of Wickham because it would just literally torch the whole story. Well, One, because he's hmm. straight from hell and he burns like a fucking evil torch. You really hate Wickham. I don't know. No, but I, I, I do really think about that, though, in all seriousness, about that character and just how terrible he is. And just how literally we're always going to have, you know, Darcy saddled with him. It, it, it's It's just like they are literally now brothers and they have been trapped together. And there was, you know, Mr. Darcy's father that looked on Wickham like a son. So it makes you wonder what it is, you know, was Wickham different? Was there something else that we don't know about this story? Like, Mm -hmm. why is this coming through? Well, he's another manipulative guy, right? I mean, he's constantly manipulating people like Wickham is the great manipulator. And that's Mm -hmm. why he's so, you know, that's why, you know, first Lizzie kind of falls for it with him is because he's very shiny and he is shiny on purpose. Oh, you know? He's perfect. He he is perfectly <laughs> deceitful. And that that's what I really got from the film is just the way he comes in and the way he tells that story. You know, you can tell she's eating right out of his hand. He knows mm-hmm. that he has her exactly where he wants her. And it's it's very scary. It's like the spider and the fly watching that scene mm-hmm. because he has so much in there. And, and then it's like we also, you know, go to Mrs. Bennett, who really is desperate to marry her daughters off. And then I love that she tells a story about how she loved a red coat and mm-hmm. still thinks about him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, let's hear this story. Well, um, you know, it's, it begs an interesting question here, mm-hmm. okay, which is why Wickham ran off with Lydia um, because he could have had Mrs. Bennett (laughs) (laughs) that wouldn't have helped him either because the whole thing with Wickham is Wickham wants cash like he's cash Mm -hmm. hungry right did Wickham realize that Darcy is into Lizzie and if he did something to her family that he would have to come and you know cash him out again oh my god because wickham definitely was into lizzie at first like that's who he had all his sights were set on her he was turning on the full charm pointing it straight at lizzie but at some point he changes his mind right he stops pursuing her she's gone for one she's gone with her aunt and uncle on this tour of the country but even still why is he still going after that family? Because he's only here for the money. He's only looking for money. And that family, Bennett's don't have any money. Yeah. Was he just trying to get his rocks off? Or something? Possibly. Was he just trying to... Because 
you're right. There's no financial reason no. to run away with Lydia. Not unless he understood somehow that, Yeah. you know, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about. I wonder. Or that maybe their, he thought maybe their uncle had money and possibly, would, you know, I mean, he could have heard like a the uncle is a little, yeah. I didn't finish. I didn't have a chance to finish listening to the book. I started again. So I'm going to like eagle eye that and see if there's any clues because, you know, he's nothing if not, you know, manipulative. He has a plan. Yeah. Like Wickham is not smart exactly, but he's uh, widely, I guess I would say. Yeah. I think we should really bring back the term break. Like you said break Definitely. and I just feel like that's something that you don't hear anymore and it's just, yeah, it's such a beautiful way of, you know encompassing that i also said I, I, mean, I just keep thinking of... i love as well <laughs> yeah exactly. so many good words language used to be better now we just say fuck boy <laughs> <laughs> i just keep having shirley mclean's voice in my head from steel magnolias where she's like he's a boil on the butt of humanity <laughs> it's like that's what i think of when i think of wake up <laughs> did we ever say who danny is on this Oh, are we just going with Mr. Bennett? Because you said oh. Mr. Bennett. I think I I I aspire to be Mr. Bennett, or, or to to at least live the life of Mr. Bennett. But you have uh, a bit of Mary in you too. Oh, that's <laughs> so rough. It's <laughs> such a rough thing to but say no, to someone I, you claim I, to love. I always thought I always thought I had a little Mary as well. When I but first you, read Mary, studious. I was like, uh-oh. yeah. I mean, there's qualities to Mary that are not bad. I mean, no, we're not like show offy. Sure. Although you can, you know, I can be a little show offy. But I mean, would we be the ones to pick up the acoustic guitar and start singing at the party? Yeah, oh, yeah. we probably would. I mean, <laughs> That's true. Would we be singing downer songs that people don't really want to hear at a celebration? Yes. Yeah, that probably. Would it be in a minor key? It would. It would. It would. You'd be like, this is a great time to I mean, bust like, out my Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> Just depress the shit out of everyone. I'm literally you, all right, thinking, you nailed me. <laughs> I'm literally thinking of a party where we did start singing Wagon Wheel. <laughs> and Alex Tennant was actually playing uh, violin with us. Yeah. I mean, it was when we were singing Wagon Wheel in harmony and bumming everybody out. Oh man, yeah. I, that is such a beautiful. God, that was I, apartment too. Holy I loved that. Yes, it was. Brutal, wow. brutal. It was a great time. So you know, we we embrace our Mary quality. I, I would just add that I often, unfortunately, feel like Mr. Collins. No, um, I do. Oh, I do, uh, especially <laughs> many times at work. I feel like Mr. Collins saying, hey, do you want to read two hours of Four Dice's sermons with me? <laughs> and all my students groan and, you know. No. Just as a teacher, it's not an infrequent feeling. Well, if you have to teach American literature, a lot of early American literature is basically, hey, let's read Four Dice's sermons. That's <laughs> true. Um, but no, but you do make an excellent boiled potato. <laughs> I, I, I'm a connoisseur of boiled potatoes. Well... Been many years since you've had such an exemplary vegetable. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't see you as Mr. Collins at all. Maybe you know, no, because he's such a jerk. He's such. I just feel. I feel sometimes 
like a Mr. Collins. Well, it, not, not, I don't think I share his. But you can also be spicy like Lady Catherine. Mm. You have a little spice in you. <laughs> do you, do you even like that? Oh, no. <laughs> I do. I love you so much. I'm creating feedback by whacking my headphones against yours. That's how much I love you. No, I, I think, I, I think that you are such a unique and beautiful person that you don't even fit within any category of anyone. I agree. I yes, think it's hard to categorize you. Well, because, yeah. you know, it's the same thing with John. Maybe we can say that sometimes you outwardly appear like a certain character or something, but you're a very complex man, both of you. So yeah. you can't be pigeonholed. I mean, we all are. I can be pigeonholed as Darcy pretty easily, though. I will say that. But at least he's a very complex man himself. So All right. So, all right. Everybody's got we've that We've talked a lot about a lot of different things, but the way I feel like we could have just kept going and going. We could have. We barely even talked about Elizabeth and Darcy. It's They're, insane. Oh, yeah. We're just oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, those people are in this movie after all. That whole thing. Yeah. They're very nice kids. <laughs> they are. They're we, real we wish sweet. them well. They're beautiful children. <laughs> and uh, they're going to make very nice babies. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, the whole thing with them is I what I love about this and what I love about Jane Austen, because Jane Austen kind of originated the romance novel, right? I mean, this is like what we have now like this is what we're overrun with and the romance novel category is like you know less complex versions less socially uh, aware versions of this type of story where you have uh two people who seem like a particularly ill fit for each other at the beginning um, who over the course of a story really come to care about each other and know each other and both change so that they become the right, exactly the right person for each other. And I love that. Mm-hmm. That's like my favorite kind of story. And it's actually taken me a very long time to admit that um, over the course of my yeah. life, because I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of seen as silly to like that kind of a story, but I love that kind of a story. Who doesn't love that kind I of totally story? I totally agree. Right? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, this is, you know, such a uh, an original and pure version of that. It's like these are two deeply imperfect people who, you know, are, are really like shown in, in both the film and the miniseries and in the book. Like, you, they're not these, you know, these hero heroine who can do no wrong. And they're sort of just like, propped up on all their good parts like you really do see them uh screw up a lot and you see their faults very very clearly um but you also see that there is something that they both are need from each other like they they have they both have qualities that the other person doesn't and they're able to i think bring those together into like a really special connection um and I agree with you. I mean, I think I think a lot of times, like, you know, this, I think a lot of people just have a stick up their ass about Jane Austen, where they just look at it as frivolous, or they look at it as, you know, these are silly stories that, you know, girls like, because it's romantic and ribbons and whatever, and balls and dancing. Um, and I, I think that that's really just like, missing the mark here. You know, I think a lot of people just don't, even give Jane Austen the time of day because they have this like preconceived notion of what it is. And, you know, she's shrewdly funny as a writer. I mean, she just is so sharp witted and I think really just understands um, 
she sees people for I think who they are and is able to paint these really intricate portraits of um, you know people who are not perfect but are still worthy of love and are able to find each other despite really like doing everything possible to <laughs> screw it up um, and that's a story that I think is like you know that people always need and that's why I think this is such a comforting movie is for that reason is like you know obviously I've, I've seen this a billion times and I always know what's going to happen um, but it is sort of a really amazing portrait of love in a lot of different forms like you know the sibling love the parental love um, the friendship like Lizzie and, and Charlotte I think just have such a beautiful friendship and this connection with each other that you know really like makes me really emotional like it's it's a very important friendship for both of them and they also are so aware of you know the forces that are going to keep their friendship from being what it is when they're kids like they see that like you know now charlotte's being taken away she's going to live with mr collins god help her um and nothing is ever going to be the same and they're trying to keep their friendship um despite all of these forces in their lives that are kind of like pulling them apart yeah it is it is very disruptive to people who you know really didn't experience things like that very frequently mm -hmm. you know i mean yeah. i didn't think about that much but it's true like you know they've lived in the same home their entire life they've run with the same families and known the same people and even though it's upwards of 20 families or whatever mrs bennett right. says <laughs> you know, we dine with more than 20 families <laughs> You know, it's still a very small society and very mm -hmm. unchanging. It's a totally different scene than what we live in now, where everything is so fast and, and you know, disturbingly so. And yes, Danny, I can understand why you would want to go back, you know, and live there. I said that when I, when, uh, when Elizabeth is on the trip um, with her aunt and uncle and she's standing on like that rock like outcropping yes. with her awesome dress blowing around. I said, if we can be Liz Lemon again, I was like, I want to go to there. <laughs> um, I was like, it, Although like, it seems very unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take with, a couple steps. I know back. with those, with those shoes, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Little slippers. Um, yeah, John, that's what John said too. He's like, well, she's pretty close to the edge. Yeah. I was like, she I, is. Yeah. I would step Boringly. back a little bit. I still want to stand yeah. on that cliff, like being very pensive <laughs> in the wind. Um, it looks amazing. I have a lot of like fantasies of, of that life, you know, that living that uh, windblown cliff standing life. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, things in this, you know, things that these people have experienced are pretty simple. And when you have something like a marriage and, and your best friend, since you were children probably you know goes away gets married and goes mm -hmm. away it's very disruptive time of life i mean it's very um uprooting kind of a thing for lizzie to be going through and on top of that she's possibly you know the whole time they're convinced up until bingley leaves that jane is going to marry him and she's so she's going to not have her sister with her either who's her closest closest friend you know, they know each other mm -hmm. so well. Um, so she kind of is losing all of her safety people or thinks she is. And it puts her into a position where 
she has to think about life in a totally different way. And that's when Darcy kind of steps in and explains her life from a totally different perspective that even though she doesn't want to, she's forced to examine. Um, and it does change her as a person. And that's what brings them together. And of course he's changed as a person too. Um, not just by being able to almost tell a joke. <laughs> I, I think we see him change more maybe in the miniseries and in the book than in this film. I agree. He seems a little bit more likable almost in, in this one from the get-go. But the fact that they both change is so lovely. And it's the, the thing that really draws me into this love story. And uh, someone I respect once told me that one of the best parts of a relationship is that it forces you to confront things about yourself that you wouldn't otherwise have to confront. And I think we see that um, with uh, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right about your read of him in this. That because like even after they have this big fight, he isn't very unlikable for long. You know, you mm-hmm. almost instantly see how he was right and she was wrong. So... I think this version of Darcy also he doesn't he doesn't keep it to himself as much as Colin Firth did. Um, when I think about the part where Elizabeth is at Pemberley, you know, with her aunt and uncle to do the tour and Darcy just happens to be there. And this Darcy is delighted instantly to see her and you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and he basically said, oh, I'll never bother you again. And then instantly it's just like, oh, I'm still madly in love with you. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, whereas I do think Colin Firth played it a little closer to the vest there. I don't think he instantly went back to outwardly accepting her. You know, yes, he still, you know, had her hang out with his sister and all this kind of stuff, but it wasn't quite as easy for that Darcy as it seemed to be for this Darcy to just be like well you don't love me but I'm just going to keep loving you forever so suck it (laughs) (laughs) totally I think it's an issue is it time for us to rewatch the miniseries already here we go (laughs) you guys are as bad as me I would just watch this all the time I mean that's the thing it is kind of every time I watch it I just end up with this goofy warmth of how much I just am happy that things worked out, even though it was very dark at one point and you didn't think it was going to, it did. And you really come to love these characters and feel for them. It's, it's so funny because obviously I know how this ends having seen many versions of it many times. Um, But at the beginning of the movie this time, you know, we're about 45 minutes in and I just wanted to skip to the end because I just wanted everything to be good. I'm like, can we just get to the part where everything's okay? Because that's my favorite part. Because so. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to go through all the hard the hard stuff to get to the good stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think it's a great kickoff movie for Love Month. It is. Well, uh, I think that's it for us for Pride and Prejudice. I so appreciate you guys coming out to talk to us about this one. It was great. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It was really fun to talk 
about this movie with you. All right. So next week we will be back with another literary romance film. This time it is the 1999 Tamey the Shrew adaptation, 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, so join us next week for that. And until then, as always, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. Stay comfy. Stay comfy. <laughs>